Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about soil sampling. Now, just like our topic yesterday that impacts everyone who has soil, uh, this one absolutely does. We are big believers in soil testing. Well, if you're going to have accurate and representative soil tests, you got to soil sample properly. So we want to talk about that a little bit today. If you've got any questions for us, or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm right now, the number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. All right, we'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here. Before we do, I'll, I'll just give you a couple quick things to get you started with this soil sampling. So the three biggest things that I see in terms of, and I'll just call them mistakes, uh, but the, the way that I want to have people soil sampling are, number one, you always want to have a GPS point when you're sampling. So what I mean by that is I don't care, well, I do care what your size, uh, uh, your grid size or zone size is, but I, what I'm trying to say is it doesn't make any difference if you have a big grid or a small grid. You have a big zone or a small zone. I don't, I don't care about that. What I do care about is that you set a GPS point within that grid or zone. The reason why we want you to do this is twofold. One, it's repeatable. Okay, so you can go back to that exact same spot from now till uh, eternity, and you can always you're you're always tracking the same spot. One of the challenges in a lot of cases is people aren't tracking the same spots, and they go, "Boy, my soil pH varied one one whole point in a year," <laughs> and I go, "With you're telling me with no applications, your soil pH varied one point in a year? No." That, no, that does not happen. So that just means that you weren't in the same spot. So, and if that's happened to you, now you know why that happened to you. Believe me, that used to happen to us too before GPS. Well, now with GPS, it's so easy. Just set a spot, okay? The other reason why we want you to do that is we want you to track yield versus your soil test results. So what I mean by that is if at each GPS spot, you can correlate that to the nearest yield point or even let's, so we've got a real, real simple program. So we just take the average of the yield right around that GPS point. And now I can start figuring out what is truly paying on my farm. Do I need more potassium or less? Do I need more zinc or less? Do I need more boron or less? And the data will show you. And now you don't have to rely on some fertility expert out there to say, well, put more nitrogen on or put more sulfur. You've got your own data. It's amazing. So we started doing that a few years ago. That's the biggest reason to me why you got to have a GPS point. Okay, so number one, GPS point. Number two, you always, when you're soil sampling, you want to use a probe going straight up and down. Straight up and down, always. If you go at an angle, now you're not going to have a representative sample. Point number three, I would say you want to make a mark on your soil probe and always go to the same depth. If you're going at six inches, then eight, then four, then... Again, it's not going to be a representative sample. Oh, and there is one last thing, I guess, point number four that I would throw in, uh, or 
will call this back to that very first thing that I mentioned, the GPS point. How I want you to sample around that GPS point is this. Always drive right to the GPS point. Your phone can show you. Uh, for example, the Ag PhD Soils app, you can use that and you, it'll bring you right to those data points. It's amazing. And then you get out of your vehicle, whatever it is, pickup, four-wheeler, whatever you've got, and you soil sample all the way around that vehicle. You take two to three soil cores in front of the vehicle, to the side, to the back, to the other side, done. Okay, now you've got eight to 12 soil cores. You throw them all in a bucket, dump those in the bag, you're done. You send it in. The lab will mix your, uh, mix your soil up, or at least most labs will. And anyway, the reason why you want to do that, again, it's that repeatability that we're after, and you're using that GPS point, so now you can correlate that to yield as well. All right, so we'll talk a little more about soil sampling throughout the show today. Right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, Brandon, a strip-till question here. This is come, coming from Ben in northeast Iowa. He said, we've got CEC that ranges from 15 to 20 and organic matter in the 4 to 7% range. Ooh, nice. Been doing some strip-till with Coulter's. We're switching to a shank-style machine that will be used in the fall and potentially in the spring, depending on the weather. Uh, been applying 150 pounds of dry urea, spread four inches wide. I'm sorry, four inches deep, six inches wide with the Coulter machine. Just wondering if we're at a six or seven inch depth with this shank, could we put that much urea in the strip? Uh, what kind of limit would you have on how much nitrogen you'd feel comfortable in a spring strip till and a fall strip till situation in northeast Iowa? Okay, so first of all, like on our farm, we have done strip till for oh, get, going on almost 20 years now. We don't band our nitrogen, and the little bit, well, most of the sulfur we apply, we do not band, and most of the boron we apply, we do not band. So those things, nitrate, sulfate, boron, they're leachable. Because they're leachable, your efficiency rate does not improve dramatically when you put them in a band. Whereas nutrients that are immobile, like phosphorus, potassium, zinc, copper, those things are totally different. If you put them in a band, now, because they're not moving around in soil moisture uh, very much at all, now your roots have a, an incredible chance to find those, and that's why the studies will typically show you, like in P&K, you can cut back by a third, and you're still going to get the same results as if you broadcast. So I, I, to specifically answer the question here, would I feel comfortable in Northeast Iowa putting 150 pounds of urea in a band six inches deep? Yes, I would. I'm not really not too worried about it, especially in your heavy soil. I think you'll be fine. My biggest concern, honestly, is shank in the spring usually doesn't happen, and I'm not a big fan of putting urea out in the fall. So the reason why shank doesn't happen in the spring, it's got to get dry deep in order for that to work. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Do you need to replant soybeans due to cold temperatures? heavy rains, or another weather event? Weeds don't seem to care, and you have limited options for last-minute weed control. This is when you turn to Spitfire herbicide from New Farm. Unlike other Phenoxy herbicides, Spitfire can be applied up to seven days before planting. Fields treated with the dual active power of Spitfire will benefit from weed control that will ease planting and help your beans establish a good stand. Spitfire from New Farm, here to help. 
Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice, with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I love the summertime because we're getting, well, one of the reasons is we're getting pictures sent in for the Ag PhD mailbag, radio at agphd.com. Got one from Patrick, and he said, I'm wondering if you can identify this bug. I believe it's Japanese beetle. You bet it is. And I don't like the looks of the picture you sent me because it looks like there's going to be more Japanese beetles soon. So that... Kind of brings up our next caller here, Jim in Ohio, who sounds like he may have some of the same problem in his soybeans. Jim, thanks for calling in. Yeah, I'm finding some Jap beetle out there. They're making holy leaves. Yeah, they sure are. So so what do you got going on out there? You, you've got, uh, well, got other things you need I to would, do in the field? No. We've had a lot of water out here. There's a lot of yellow beans in spots out here. And I, I was wondering, I was thinking about spraying for jet beetle. And while I'm doing that, I was wondering what kind of a generic low-cost fungicide a guy could throw in there. Sure, like, sure. Like, so we got a lot of yellow beans. I don't want to spend a whole lot on fungicide. Sure. But I do know I got to spray for jet beetle. Yep. Um, have you had any problem with sclerotinia white mold in the past, or are we just talking general soybean diseases? I haven't had any for several years. Okay, good. So a lot of people will put out uh, like a generic quadrus, and that costs about $4 an acre for the full rate. So you can do that. The problem is that's in the same chemical family as Headline and Avito and all the other strabiliarins. And there is a lot of resistance with frog eye leaf spot and brown spot now, and we're concerned about a couple other diseases too. So that's the cheapest, so or, or one of the cheapest, so that would be a good way to go. 
you could also step it up a little bit and do a combination of something if you wanted to that'll cost a little bit more money. Um, let's say it was uh, uh, Fortix, for example. I know that's something we're using on our farm. Full rate's about seven bucks. That's a combination of a Vito, the strobe, top guard, a Trizol. And then another really good one would be Stratego Yield. It's fairly reasonable after rebates, you know, might cost you eight to 10 bucks, something like that. So those would probably be the three products I'd, I would think about. Generic Quadris, if all you're after is plant health and a little bit of disease control, uh, Otherwise, Fortix or Stratego Yield, if you want to go cheap, uh, but get something with two modes of action. Okay, I was just kind of wondering, so I thought I'd throw in something in there, um, killing Jap Beetle to help Absolutely. the beans out. Yep, that's exactly what now, uh, about, we've been doing. Generic uh, Domark? Oh, yeah, you can do that. Uh, that's the reason why I asked you about the sclerotinia white mold. So, yeah, that's, that's inexpensive well, as well. Some places the beans are uh, getting over waist tall, mm -hmm. and it, I'm going to do an airplane. I don't think an airplane can get that down in there. Uh, well, what are you concerned about getting down in there, the fungicide or the insecticide? Uh, fungicide. Yeah. For white mold, it's, it, if it is, it's clear down in, you know, the closer right. to the ground. Yep. No, I, I'm with you. And yes, when beans get to be waist tall, it does get challenging and we need good coverage if the fungicide is going to work. But I will say fun, or, uh, fungicides do get pressed down pretty well from aerial application, whether it's a plane or a helicopter. We just had a little bit of stuff, some trees, actually. Uh, we had to spray some fungicide and insecticide over some trees, and I was surprised. Leaves way down underneath, they uh, actually coated pretty well. I, I just, I, I only bring that up because I just, they, we just did this the other day, and I went out and I checked, and boy, we had good coverage underneath. But anyway, uh, yeah, generic Domark is probably five bucks an acre. Okay, maybe a guy could mix that with uh, generic quadris. Yep, generic quadris certainly could. Yep, yep, absolutely. Would you use full rate on both of them, or just cut back? No, I'd probably use a half rate on the generic quadris. So you're spending two bucks there, and you spend the five bucks on the generic domark. So now you're talking seven bucks. That's what I'd do. But that sounds real good. Yep. Okay. Well, hey, thanks for the call, Jim. Okay. Appreciate it. Good luck out there. Thank you. You bet. Yep. See you. Bye. Let's head down to Arkansas. we got Trent Roberts with the University of Arkansas to talk a little about soil sampling on our show. Trent, thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. How's it going? You know, pretty well. Pretty well. I get a lot of soiled samples I get to look at from around the country, and I, I do see a number coming from the state of Arkansas. And just I'm kind of wondering, when you start with the soil sampling guidelines for, for folks in your state, uh, do you take a lot of six-inch samples? Do you have a lot of guys pulling samples themselves? Where do your recommendations start? Well, so in Arkansas, you know, we kind of have two different uh, soil sampling depths that we recommend, and it's specific to crop. And so I think regardless of where you're at in the country, you know, you want to start with the crop and look at your land, you know, your LGU or, or your source of information to determine what that correct sampling depth is. So, for example, in Arkansas, rice and beans are kind of our workhorse. And uh, we only sample zero to four inches for those crops, whereas, you know, some of our others like corn, we sample zero to six. So I always try to tell people, you know, make sure you know where your recommendations are coming from and, and what depth they recommend to start off with. 
When you're looking at nutrients, we get so many questions about NP and K, and for good reason. There's a lot of pounds of those nutrients that we know the crops are using. What do you see in terms of the, the secondary nutrients like sulfur? Uh, it seems to be one getting a lot of attention around the country that growers are adding more sulfur and seeing some results. Yeah, and so, you know, there's been a lot of work on sulfur. We, we have a problem here in Arkansas with getting good, consistent responses to sulfur, but what I always try to tell people is, you know, sulfur availability in the soil is really dominated by organic matter and its mineralization. And so I think that's the tricky part is, you know, being able to predict whether or not your organic matter is going to supply enough sulfur. So, you know, with Clean Air Act, we've taken and scrubbed a lot of uh, sulfur out of the atmosphere, which helped us with atmospheric deposition. And so now we're really relying on that soil organic matter to mineralize and provide us sulfur. And I think that's where we're, we're seeing maybe inconsistencies or sulfur deficiencies where we typically didn't in the past. Um, but, you know, here in Arkansas, we're moving towards a model of looking at organic matter content as a predictor for, you know, sulfur needs. All right. Yeah, that sounds like it makes a lot of sense. The mineralization is something we... we don't think gets enough talk. So I'm glad you brought up that conversation. And you also brought up the crop rice. And Brandon and I like talking about corn and soybeans because that's what most of our acres on our farm are made up with. But but not rice. We don't grow a whole lot of rice up here. How's rice fertility different and, and what kind of challenges do you see there? Well, so in rice fertility, you know, the main difference is uh, the majority of the season we want to keep it flooded. And that flooded condition changes uh, nutrient availability. So one thing we actually find is when we flood a rice field, we actually increase uh, phosphorus availability in the soil. So what that means is if I grow corn and rice in the same soil, uh, I may have to apply more phosphorus to my corn crop because it's not flooded. Whereas if I grew rice in that same field, that flooded condition increases my pea availability so I can actually get by with a lower rate of phosphorus fertilizer. Uh, the other big one that we find is uh, big problems with zinc. And so uh, zinc is very important for oxygen transport in the plant. And so when we have, you know, hidden hunger with zinc or mild zinc deficiencies, and we apply that flood to rice, um, it really prevents oxygen transport. And so it's actually kind of like strangling the rice. And uh, we see those hidden hunger or mild zinc deficiencies result in plant death very rapidly um, because of that flooded condition. And so a lot of times, you know, that flood helps us with certain nutrients and it makes other nutrients a lot worse. So it's a it's a very different system than, you know, an upland uh, traditional kind of crop rotation that, that most people are used to. Yeah, that is really interesting. And I, I think about that. I'm not, probably not going to complain so much, Trent. I've got some river bottom ground, maybe the occasional flood down there. As long as my crop survives, maybe it'll help me with the phosphorus. That would be that would be <laughs> wonderful. I'm probably pushing yeah, it. I'm probably pushing it. Well, I, I it's, it's one of those things, if, if it stays flooded long enough to help you with the phosphorus, you're not going to have any more corn. No, so that's that's true. The trade-off's, <laughs> the trade-off's not worth it. We're talking with Trent Roberts down at the University of Arkansas. Trent, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and, and have a great rest of your summer. You too. Thanks. We're talking about soil sampling on today's Ag PhD radio program. Stay tuned. 
no matter what time of the year it is on your farm. With a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. When it comes to soybean diseases, the longer you wait, the more damage you do. Stop the clock on white mold and other yield-robbing diseases with Approach Prima Fungicide from Corteva AgriScience. Approach Prima Fungicide quickly surrounds the surface of the plant for rapid absorption, then moves throughout the plant, providing full protection of each leaf and stem, even those that have yet to emerge. Uptake occurs on day one, nearly twice as fast as the next leading competitor. For more information, visit approachprima.corteva.us or your local crop protection retailer. Always read and follow label directions. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Listen to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today talking about soil sampling. I know it's a big surprise that we'd be talking about soil sampling on our show, but it's really important. And we're actually starting to get a lot of questions coming into these double crop situations, guys that are harvesting wheat and cover crops going in, just a lot of fertility questions and, and certainly a lot of soil sampling questions. So we wanted to cover that on today's program. So hopefully you're getting a little taste here, we're talking with Trenton Roberts down at University of Arkansas about rice and soybeans and corn and what they're doing down there and some of the nutrients they're looking at. Let's head a little bit further north. We've got a farmer up in Wisconsin on with us right now. We've got Kyle on. Kyle, thanks for joining us. Hey, fellas. Good to be here. 
All right, talk to us about your soil sampling program. I, I always enjoy hearing about it. I hear how you're adapting over the years and learning more. What What are you learning that's going to influence your soil sampling this year? Um, not a great deal new. We're going to kind of stay the course. We generally do about 30% of our acreage every year. Um, so every three years we've covered everything. Um, we're kind of shifting our focus. Uh, we're, we're actually putting more emphasis on tissue sampling. We're, we're still going to keep doing our, our soil sampling because I really feel for things like calcium and pH, it, it really gives us a good idea as to what's going on out there. And it really shows us where we have drainage issues, especially in our type of topography. Um, but we have the ability now with the high boy sprayer the last couple of years that, uh, that we can spoon feed things that, um, that we need to in season. And we're finding tissue sampling is really important. We're doing it every Monday now. And that, that really is paying dividends for us. Um, but we are definitely going to continue with the soil sampling. And it, it showed us a few surprises that we quite frankly, haven't anticipated. Okay, so now you got me curious and uh, multiple things here. I'm going to start with that high clearance sprayer and the spoon feeding of nutrients. What what do you see that you're getting a response out of putting on in season? Is it nitrogen and sulfur and boron leachable ones, or are there some other nutrients that that we might not be thinking about that in season applications have really helped with? Oh, it's definitely the leachable ones that are first and foremost, and it's amazing just how fast the, the crops are growing in this region of Wisconsin the last couple of years. We've been really blessed with great weather the last few years. And it's amazing when you look at soil samples, it shows that we should have adequate levels out there. But when you actually look at the tissue samples, it spikes up and down pretty darn quickly. Uh, we can go from adequate levels, uh, and 10 days to two weeks later, we're down deficient again. Uh, so it's nice to be able to have the ability to go in and uh, give it a little extra shot, a little pick-me-up. Uh, this year, we even experimented wide-dropping some beans uh, just to see what it did. Uh, I wanted uh, We were kind of borderline deficient on, on the sulfur especially. I happened to be out putting on some uh, late-season tassel time uh, nitrogen and sulfur on the corn had some in the tank. I was like, let's do some trial strips across the beans and see what it did at, you know, 10 gallons and then at 20 gallons. So right now to the naked eye, it doesn't look any different. Uh, yesterday was the first tissue sample that we pulled after doing that. Uh, so hopefully by Thursday or Friday, I'll, I'll know if the plant has taken anything up yet. Um, it'll be interesting. You know, one thing that you said there, too, that I'd, I'd like to comment just a little bit on, Kyle, is that your tissue sample showed you were short and you went out and applied the nutrient that you needed. And I think that's a real key here that if you have the data to tell you, hey, I'm short in this, your odds of success are so much higher than we get yeah. calls and questions all the time. Hey, what do you think? I could just throw some sulfur out there. 
Well, I have no idea if you're high in sulfur, low in sulfur. And I think a lot of the studies we look at where people say, I don't know if sulfur really pays. Well, did they really know that they were short? So I applaud you, Kyle. I love the soil sampling program. I love how you're going at it. I love the addition of the tissue sampling. And, of course, that high clearance sprayer gives you a lot of opportunities out there. So good luck, Kyle. Really appreciate hearing from you again. Stay in touch. You bet. We'll see you on the 29th. All right. Sounds great. Look forward to it. Uh, got our friend Caleb down in the state of Georgia on next and, and Caleb's a younger guy out there doing some soil sampling on his farm. Caleb, how's your program going with soil sampling and how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Darren. Hopefully the rain doesn't wash away all our progress. I was <laughs> going to say we're going, might need to take some tips from your guests from Arkansas about how to grow rice. Cause it looks like that may be the crop of choice here soon. Wow. What a, what a tale of two years compared to what you had to deal with last year. It's, and we've got, we've got the same kind of thing here. We've been dry for a year, but before that we were wet for a couple of years. And it, I don't know, you, you count on getting a little bit of experience along the way in your farming career, but not all at once. <laughs> exactly. We're definitely seeing uh, each end of the spectrum this year. And that's kind of, it's, it's shown us some problems with some nutrients and us being able to keep them available in our light soils as well. Now, I know as you've been trying to build up nutrition, you've been looking at lots of different sources of getting nutrients out there. Have you seen some of those different things that you're doing pay off? We have. It's uh, really been interesting to see what makes a difference on our farm. Uh, we've taken a uh, suggestion of y'all to be able to line up our harvest data with our uh, with our grid samples, and it's really shown us the nutrients that uh, pay very large dividends as far as yield goes and also some nutrients that we may be good on already and not as high of a response in those and so this year with the way uh, input prices have been especially with fertilizer it's really helped us maximize our input investment. I always kind of hope that certain nutrients that my brother may be more fond of don't show up as giving us a good response, but we know we need nitrogen. We know we need potassium on our farm. So of course those show up. Are there any that surprised you that you said, wow, I didn't realize this one was so important in our soils and the balance we've got? Well, I will say that calcium and magnesium have been very important in addition to potassium. And that's like with peanuts, which is our primary crop. We need a lot of calcium to make good yields and quality with peanuts. And so I actually go out in the middle of the season to sample the top four inches of soil to make sure that we have enough available calcium. And we'll actually spread variable rate gypsum on the peanuts right before they enter the reproductive period. Very interesting. Uh, okay. When when you're talking about that, what kind of rate are you putting out there then with uh with gypsum, are you putting out 100 pounds? Are you putting out more or less? The standard flat rate that is used by the majority of growers is 1,000 pounds per wow. acre, which that's a lot of calcium that we're putting out, and peanuts need it. But one thing that we're also finding is in our light, sandy soil, that much calcium getting added to the soil at one time can sometimes get our other nutrients out of whack. So like next year, when we follow with, say, corn or cotton, where potassium and magnesium really make our yields, sometimes we have so much calcium in there that those, those nutrients kind of get out of whack. And so that's why uh, we started doing uh, variable rate applications of gypsum based on our grid samples for calcium. 
and that's enabled us to reduce the amount of gypsum that we need to apply in total, but it also helps us to maintain or even increase our yields while we're keeping the soil balanced. That is interesting. That is interesting. Okay, so talk to me about your harvest data overlaid on your grid soil sample results. How much time did that take you? And I know you said you've been learning some stuff. Are you going to continue on that process? Well, I decreased our sample, our grid sample size down to one acre grids this year, so I'll have more data to be able to go through <laughs> this year. And uh, it's, it's, it's been very eye-opening to us uh, to be able to identify all of our high-yielding areas and what they have in common, especially like for corn. Uh, I'll say that we spent more money on certain nutrients than I'd ever dreamed that we would be. But then we also learned of some that we may may be able to scale back and, and move our, our dollars into another another nutrient. And that data, getting that data, putting everything together, uh, it took a little bit to learn how to do it. But Absolutely. all but in all, it's been very, very efficient. I, I just like that idea, too, that it's not necessarily spending more money. It's just shuffling where that money is going to get spent. Hey, Caleb, thank you so much for calling in. We really appreciate it. Stay tuned. In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Daikon IGR and Sentinel EC insecticide, or Daikon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register.
Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us here in the Morton studio. We're talking about soil sampling and a couple of things that came up there in this last discussion. We were talking with Caleb down in Georgia, and one of the things that we've done on our farm is take our one-acre grid samples, our, our grid soil samples, and lay that data over our yield results and look at each one acre of what our yield is, what our soil sample reports say and start making some comparisons hey in these areas where we're high in this we're doing better in these areas where we're low in this we're doing worse this kind of thing to see all right what levels of each nutrient are we at when we're hitting our best yields and and caleb says he's doing that down in georgia and that's awesome and it's led him to take even smaller grids he wasn't doing one acre grids now he's going to start doing one acre grids just to get more data and tried to drive decisions even better. I thought that was interesting. And then uh, talking to Kyle in Wisconsin, he's been doing soil sampling every three years on his farm, and now he's doing a lot more with tissue sampling and just noticing how sometimes the soil sample says there's plenty, but the tissue sample says he's running a little bit short. But one thing that he said, and I didn't get to dig into this anymore because we ran out of time with Kyle, but uh, the tissue samples, a lot of times when we get dry, all of a sudden we see tissue sample numbers going down and we aren't able to get the nutrients into the plant. That doesn't mean the nutrients aren't out in the field. And to me, that doesn't necessarily tell me that I need to put on more nutrients unless I can drive them in through the foliage. It just tells me I can't get them in through the roots right now because we don't have enough moisture. So when we get a rainfall event like we had roughly a week ago, all of a sudden tissue sample levels go way up because now we've got moisture in that top few inches of soil where a lot of those nutrients are. So it does tell me we've got to manage things a little different if we're hitting those spells where I just can't get nutrient uptake. Maybe my nutrients need to be deeper. Maybe they need to be banded. Or maybe we just need just need some rain. So I, I guess our experience has been whoa, we can't whoa, whoa, always wait, whoa, drive whoa. nutrients in through foliage. Yeah, but when you say need some rain, okay. Everybody, we as farmers, I'll talk for myself, we as farmers can use that as an excuse all the time to say, well, I'd had a better crop. No, I'm, saying, I'm saying we have plenty Obviously. of nutrients in the soil, but they can't get no. into the plant because there's no moisture out there and, to drive them in. And I'm, I'm saying I, okay. Can't disagree with that. That's a fact. Yeah, I can. Because here's okay. here's what I'm here's the Could part I'm going to disagree with. What, what, well, what, what's what's the pro- appropriate amount? Number one, and where are they placed? Number two. So my point is, if I had lots of nutrients, like almost an overload of nutrients in the range of let's call it eight to twelve inches deep in the soil, where I have I'm more likely to have moisture. I have heavy soil there, for example, on our farm. So there's moisture there most of the time. Almost every single year, even in a drought year, there's a fair amount of moisture at 8 to 12 inches deep. I mean, eventually you're going to run out. But my point is, if we had more nutrients there, we'd be in better shape. And my argument all the time is, like with potassium, for example, it takes unbelievable amounts of potassium for great corn yields and soybean yields. And 
the concentration in the soil simply is not high enough. And so if you're only looking at parts per million, you might say, oh, I'm good. But until you look at the base saturation percentage, which shows you the ratio of that nutrient to other nutrients, once you look at that, you go, oh, that now I see why I have a problem, especially in a dry year. So here's the example I always give. Let's say that you had to take some medicine today and you get a bottle of water. You dump your medicine in the bottle of water. Okay, now think about the concentration of medicine you've got, all right? The next day, you only have a half a bottle of water there, and you're like, okay, well, I'll take my same exact dose of medicine, and I'm going to dump it in the half bottle of water. Well, now what's your concentration? Your concentration is 2x. You see where I'm going with this, I hope. In a dry year, um, it's great to say, oh, 400 parts per million of uh, K for us is fine. That gives me 4% base saturation, all right? I'm just use, just throwing these numbers out. In some soils, 100 parts per million is 4%. My point is, well, maybe we should be at 7 or 8% in the drought year so we have a higher concentration. So then I've got a way better chance that I get the appropriate amount of potassium into that soil. So this is why... In those drought years, you see the guy that got that has manure, and you always say, boy, he puts a lot of manure on. He really benefits in that drought year. Why? It's not because, uh, oh, we, uh, we use manure as a fertilizer. It's because he or she had an almost what we, many of us would consider an overabundance of nutrients beyond the economic point where we should get fertility levels to right? You've got to have ample nutrients to Darren's point, even if there's less moisture. It, we can't you always use rainfall as an excuse. For those of us who have dryland farming, I mean, of course, if we could dial up the right rains all the time, we'd have amazing crops every single year, but we can't. So we have to figure out how do we beat Mother Nature or at least work with Mother Nature to get the best yields possible, even in these really challenging years. Having ample amounts of soil fertility is one part. Having a balanced level is another part. And then having those nutrients where moisture is, is a third part. So this is why we talk about, in stepping it backwards here, why we talk about nutrient stratification and what a big deal that is. We talk about micronutrients and getting all the micronutrients out there besides just the macro and the secondary nutrients. And and then looking at, you know what, I realize that for many universities and stuff, they'll say 20 parts per million on phosphorus is good enough for 25. I'm going, I don't want just average or a little below average yields. I want record yields. I want really good yields. And we got great commodity prices. I don't want to lose money. I, I mean, that's no fun. And it doesn't cost that much money to get your soil fertility levels up. And then from that point, you just maintain every year from there on out. So anyway, I want 100 parts per million of P1 phosphorus out there for me. And then I feel like, you know, I got a legit chance to raise great yields in my area. Right in our area, the average corn yields 160, 170. I want 250. And I, we can get it. We know we can. We've gotten it before. I can go higher than that even, I think, if I, if I just do a really good job with this fertility piece. It's a big deal, no doubt about that. So if you've got questions, you want to chat about soil sampling or fertility on your farm, we would love to talk to you. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. This one from... Uh, oh, hey, wait a second. I, there, there's one last thing I want to throw in because when I start talking about higher levels of fertility in the soil, it makes, to me, a lot of difference whether you own that ground 
or you rent the ground. If you own the ground, my my, my point that I'm going to go back to again is, I mean, we've got to, we, we, we don't want to be overdoing it on leachable nutrients, all right, especially like nitrate. But you want to make sure that the nutrients that aren't going to leach, like, for example, for us, when our ground is frozen about half the year, we have very little moisture and we have heavy black soils with a fair amount of organic matter. We're not ever leaching out potassium, phosphorus, zinc, copper, and a whole bunch of other nutrients. I mean, we really only have to worry about nitrate, maybe a little bit with sulfate and boron. But everything else, build it up. Because like I said, worst case scenario, what are you left with? Uh, I mean, oh, I've, I've got a really good level of fertility out there. Well, mine it out then if, if you're that worried about it. So I'm, I'm not suggesting that you spend money. I'm suggesting you invest money in that ground. Now, if you rent the ground, either you try to work out something long-term with the landlord, or that's where we talk so much about banding and, and getting fertilizer in the band so we can use it up this year as much as possible. Okay, sorry. Okay, got a question from Barat. He says, my soil has too much saline and I can't raise crops. What do you suggest for reducing salinity? Drain tile. There's one answer and it's drain tile. And if you say I can't tile, honestly, um, there's no good answer. There, there really isn't. Now you can tell me, well, you can put it back to grass. Okay. Uh, I look at economics all the time as a farmer and I can't make as much money raising grass as I can corn or soybeans or wheat or whatever. Some people say, well, I'll plant barley. Barley tolerates salt. It does to some degree, but let me put it to you this way. If I've got a high saline soil versus a regular soil, I can raise one heck of a lot more barley on a good soil as opposed to the saline soil. You see where I'm going with this. So drain tile is the answer. It is the answer. And it doesn't hurt anybody. So you're not, I mean, once you get that excess water out um, and on a dry year, this is a perfect year because there is no excess water there. Now it's just, hey, we just want the normal water going out of the field. And with that, salts are leachable. The saline will leach. It'll go out with that drain tile. It's not going to hurt anybody. There's no more water going downstream. So you got to get that out of your head. There's going to be less because you're going to raise more crop and more water is going to stay in the field. All right, we're going to get to more of your questions right after this on Ag PhD Radio. You work for results. That's why the Enlist weed control system gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. 
AgroLiquid. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucinto fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. And we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag, which means our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD if you have an agronomic question. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Some of you have uh, my cell phone number, and I happen to get a text here from Tim over in Iowa who said, we got hail about 10 days ago in north central Iowa, and... I'm sending a picture of my soybean field. How much would you push these beans from here on out? Well, thanks for the picture, Tim. Sorry that you got the hail, but it looks like you already got some regrowth going on. And looks like your leaf loss was not 100%. So that's a positive sign, too. You still got quite an engine there, but you still have an open row. So I'm a little sad about that, that you haven't closed now due to the hail. But that may change in a hurry. I'd be pushing those beans, Brian. What do you think? Um, yeah, most likely. So hail at that stage and for the little amount that it looks like there truly was, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. We always, we've had hail plenty of times too. We always think it's bad. And then we start looking at the hail charts and we go, oh, I guess it really didn't hurt our yield all that much, nor did it hurt your potential all that much. But what it does do is it does open the plant up for more chance for disease. So a fungicide is more likely to pay, not a lot more likely, but a little more likely to pay when it has been opened up because of hail. Just think about those as open wounds. So just like if you got cuts on your body, what would you do? Uh, well, you're probably going to use some kind of antiseptic. What are we doing with that? We're killing the potential for disease to enter in. So, I, I, I mean, yeah, I, if it's me, I'm still going to push it. Those beans look pretty decent to me. Okay. Thank you for the question, Tim. Oh, and I would say by push it. With everything out there, we always have to think about the economic return for whatever we're going to spend. I'm not saying spend another $100, but what I am saying is, hey, if I've got bugs and i got to spend $2, am I, am I spending that money? You bet. If 
I am concerned about disease. Am I going to spend the $10 there? You bet I am. I'm not saying $100. Okay, so just let's just make sure we're clear on that. But for specific things like fungicide and insecticide, if we feel that's necessary, by all means I'm doing it. Would I maybe throw a little bit of foliar fertilizer out there, 5 10 bucks? Sure, I'd be interested in that as well. All right, got a follow-up question. This is from Ty down in Texas, and he had sent some soil samples yesterday. If you were listening to the show, he had said he had a 100-acre field that he wanted to really push for high corn yields. The parts per million, uh, I just I just pulled samples back up. Let's just say we're at a 10 part per million phosphorus on a Malik 3, 300 part per million potassium, that's 2.5% base saturation. How much would you put on in one shot? When? What time of year would you do it? Uh, I get several questions okay. along those lines. Well, you don't want to ask me that because, it, and let, let's keep this in mind. I'm in my 50s, all right? So I'm not in my 20s. We've been farming for years and years, and so we have some degree of net worth built up on our farm, okay? So we look at things differently today than we did when we were in our 20s when we had no money. So anymore when we get ground or if let's say we farm 3200 crop acres so when we get a 100 acre field and i go i'm at two and a half percent base saturation k i'll be honest you're not you're not gonna like this but what we do on our farm seven percent base saturation k so that means that i am almost going to triple that yeah i just uh, try and get to four and, in this step yes and then you can move up from there because yep. what's going to happen is you're going to take a big jump forward in something like p or k and then everything else is going to start falling off like micronutrients so it's better to bring everything well, up in balance as much as you can it, it yes but you can do all these things in one shot so we over the last three years or so we picked up some new fields and I mean, it's it's a big bill, but here's the way I look at this. Okay, we're already spending ten thousand dollars an acre for the ground, and this is dry land, South Dakota, by the way. If I got to spend another five hundred to get the fertility right, so what? I get I got ten five invested as opposed to ten, and if I look at that over a thirty year payback, am I okay? Sure, I am. What's I mean, the extra five hundred dollars over thirty years. Um, it's not that much money per year. And that's really what we're talking about here because we're trying to get, we're not talking leachables. We're talking the nutrients that are going to stay in the soil in a heavy soil like he has. His CECs are in the 30s. And those nutrients aren't going anywhere. As long as he owns the ground, he's going to be fine. But like for me, I'll just tell you what our goals are on our farm. So what I'm looking at is 7% base saturation K, 100 parts per million uh, of P1 or Olson or Malik, uh phosphorus, so 100 parts per million, not 10. I got to get my zinc at about a 10 to 1 ratio. So if I'm at 100 on phosphorus, that means I got to be at about 10 on zinc, uh, 10 parts per million on zinc. With manganese, I want my manganese definitely above my iron levels. Or sorry, let's see, what am I saying? I'm saying that backwards. I got to have my iron levels above my manganese levels. So for us, a lot of times, we don't even look at iron because our iron levels are so high. But if you have an issue, and I think Actually, that was some of his stuff. He was short on iron, if I remember right. So I don't necessarily have a, a specific number on iron or manganese off the top of my head on a Malik test. Uh, but anyway, I, I definitely want my iron higher than my manganese. Copper, I'm probably talking three, four parts per million. Uh, like in our farmer goals, three parts per million. Boron, I don't know exactly. Three parts per million at a minimum. Uh, Sulfur, I want to be at 100 parts per million. And then molybdenum, we just do little stuff. So this is something we picked up from Neil Kinsey. He suggests, 
applying 7 ounces of sodium molybdate broadcast per acre for three years in a row, and then you see um, how are you doing on your soil test, how are you doing in your plant tissue. We've also done some low rates of boron, we've done a little bit of silica stuff. So, I, I mean, there are a lot of things to look at. To Darren's point, don't just say, oh, I'm really low on phosphorus, I'm going to build that up and do it all in one shot. If you don't look at the other stuff, you're going to run into a problem. That's a lesson that we learned on our own farm, me specifically, where I said, well, I want to be at 100 on phosphorus. Let's just do it in one shot. And that was great. Fixed our phosphorus. Problem was I created an issue with zinc and copper. So make sure you're getting your stuff in ratio, and then you're in good shape. All right. Thanks for that question, and, and good luck. I get this from Gustav, who said, uh, you guys are talking about reducing erosion. You should probably mention cover crops uh, as well. Very important and probably equally as important as no-till. You know, kind of the same thing. If we keep something out there to protect the soil, well, yes, that's good. But but keep in mind, cover, crop are, cover crops are not as important in no-till when I'm a corn no, and soybean. As important as no-till. It's not as important as no-till. If I'm a corn and soybean farmer where we farm, when I plant when the frost is coming out of the ground and I harvest when uh, the ground is frozen solid, I can't raise a cover crop. That's my point. I'm just saying, yes, cover crops can be really important. They don't fit for every farmer in every single situation. All right, let's get to the phone lines here. we got Gary up in Saskatchewan. Gary, thanks for joining us. What can we do for you? Hi, guys. Uh, in normal years, we like to mow our ditches, show off our crops. This year, uh, got grasshoppers for the first time in 20 years, and wondering if we should leave our ditches full of grass so that they don't move into the crops. Well, there's one way to look at this, Gary. If you want to look on the positive side, on the bright side of things, you won't have to spend any money mowing your ditches this year. The grasshoppers will mow them for you. There you go. <laughs> but, I like but the it, $2 insecticide <laughs> option better. In all seriousness, though, we have been talking about uh, grasshoppers a lot lately. We have a ton of them around here, too. And so we've sprayed ditches and we've sprayed field borders, and generally that stops them and you don't have to go spraying whole fields. But I agree with you. If you don't spray your ditch and you do mow that grass, guess where those hoppers are moving? They're going right out into your field. So we suggest to people do something preventative so that doesn't destroy your field. Uh, but I, like I say, you know, in a drought year like this for us, yeah, we actually have done some mowing. We got our big field day coming up next week and we want stuff to look nice. But otherwise, I would have seriously considered just leaving that grass because the grasshoppers are cutting it off. And uh, if they're feeding there, they're not feeding out in our field so much. Okay. I hate leaving it not neat and tidy like usual, but I think we will this year. <laughs> yep. Otherwise, like I say, you just spend a little money on insecticide and then you go cut your grass. But yeah, without that, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm with you. If you just, if you want to get by as cheap as possible, I might just leave it. Thanks for that. Have a good one. Yep. You too. All right. Thanks, Gary. I had, uh, had one come in from PW and we were talking about fallow years and how uh, if you can raise a crop there and make some money, that's wonderful. And he said, happy some fields are fallow near us <laughs> this year because uh, they're in a, a severe drought, I'm assuming. Uh, thanks for the feedback, PW, and the humor. We appreciate that. Uh, it is fun when you get all these questions there. And today we're talking about soil sampling, and there's a lot of different ways to do it. Brian prefaced uh, Ty's answer with, well, where we're at in our farming career, we've been doing it for a 
long time and we've got some equity, we can afford to do things a little different maybe than the beginning farmer, but the principles are still there. Build the soils up and reap the benefits for many years. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.